for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You just gave your best cow call, and then it happens. A bull screams back at you. Kick the tires and light the fires, y'all. It's on. Now your brain starts racing. Is he coming in? Do I set up and call from here? Do I get closer? How close should I be? Should I hide behind something? Do I want to see him coming in? Don't worry, y'all. Each one of us have had those thoughts at the same time, and we've been there ourselves. Your setup is the crucial component to getting into position and closing the deal. On tonight's show, we will help with the basic decision process of setups, both solo or with a partner. We also talk about the differences between dynamic and static setups. Those topics, along with our Elk Bros shout-outs and questions from our Elk Bros viewers, and our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you live from Spring, Texas and in Katy, Texas, 
the one and only, the uh, uh, maybe so not so leader of what? the Venezuelan mafia, <laughs> Luis Gonzalez, <laughs> and no doubt our elk hunting coaches in uh, Cimarron yeah. and Albuquerque, yeah. New Mexico, Joe Gilly and Leroy Champ Chavez. <laughs> we got know. an email. We got an email. And the guy, one of the guys came in on Instagram. Oh, it was Instagram. And he goes, so next week, is Luis just going to be a member of the mafia? Yeah. What the heck, man? Uh, I'm, I'm serious, dude. I mean, man. this is not working out. This is not <laughs> the way it should be, you know? <laughs> that was pretty oh, good, yeah. man. Awesome. Very hey, good. guys. Say hello, everybody. Peace. What's up, everybody? Hey, guys. Hello, guys. <laughs> we'll give us a shout-out uh, to those grinders that have been giving us those great reviews on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. John Child out of Layton, Utah. And John is a um, an RN. This guy is an incredible person that does oh, cool. uh, in, uh, incredible father. And just uh, that type of person that gives, gives, gives out there. Uh, real excited to, to see that out there. Jeff Stroop from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Bob Jefferson from South Dakota. Former U.S. Navy CB <clears throat> Kelly Gardner. <clears throat> From Johnstown, oh, Colorado. Man. Thank you for your service, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. CBs. Go CBs, man. You Dan from Mesa, Arizona. Matthew from Ava in Booger County, South Missouri. <laughs> Look out, boy. Booger <laughs> County shows up. My kind of county. Jeff Barlow, Mr. Nimrod Outdoors himself from Price, Oregon. And I'm going to give a huge welcome and thank you to our newest Elk Bros patron members. These guys, um, along with all y'all that do this, it's just so humbling that people um, appreciate this content so much that they go out to ensure that we can do this. Shane Rasmussen from Garden City, Utah, and Scott Winter from Bend, Oregon. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Yeah, to you guys. That's so awesome. Well, Joe, <laughs> you guys know exactly what time it is. Shout it's time out. for our Elk Bro shout-outs. If you're new to the show, these are just a few of our cities who are most listeners topping our charts this week. And located at the base of Lake Winnebago, our first top listening city, their name literally means the foot of the lake. All right, so I know Luis is going to jump on me here because it's going to get down to this French down here, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw it in with some redneck, all right? It's yeah. also the birthplace of the inventor of the first safety razor who gave the world an easy shave. It was King Gillette. Yep. His name was actually King. That's While working awesome. as a traveling salesman, discovered that cheap disposable items are what sold best. So he decided to use that process to make a thin disposable shaving blade. And y'all, the Gillette razor was born in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Fond du Lac, Wisconsin in the house. <laughs> Fantastic. <clears throat> Okay, up next, uh, 10 miles to the southeast of Portland, Oregon. Our next top listening city has had many names in its history, including Deerdorf Settlement, Deerdorf Valley, Happy Hollow, Castilla Valley or Castilla Valley, and East Mount Scott. But the story behind its current name, whether true or legend, will bring a smile to your face. Its current... It, its current name history evolved from a tale of locals, some boys from the hollow that would enjoy a bit too much of Grandpa Deerdorf's delicious hard apple cider on Sundays before 
church services. <laughs> they would arrive Boys to church each boys. Sunday and sing loudly and gaily, earning the description of the happy boys from the hollow. And so the story goes that that was the origin behind the name of Happy Valley. So big shout out to Happy Valley, Oregon. Happy, happy. Look, That's y'all. That's so awesome, man. I, I want to be friends I, with them guys. I get soused and go to church. You think they're going to name a city after me? <laughs> I don't know, Joe. I, I never had, I was never bold enough to try that. <laughs> this is the gateway to Mount Rainier. And according to legend, the area was first known as Shelm, the name given to the shimmering heat waves which dance and play above the prairie in the summer and sun. And though it's not a hot spot for sightings, if you spend enough time in, the, in, them, in them there hills, um, you just might come face to face with a local skookum. What the heck is Skookum, you may ask? <laughs> well, y'all, that's the name of the native Chinook Wawa tribe used for Bigfoot. <laughs> Big I was doing so good. I was doing so you good, were doing good, bro. Oh, man, I thought I was going to knock it out of the park, and then I screwed it up on the last word, man. So, so he, Bigfoot. He, he gets to native <laughs> Chinook Wawa. <laughs> the pressure big yelm washington y'all yelm, yelm washington in the house yelm that's fantastic man you know he's always going to give you those tongue twisters there buddy <laughs> hey y'all y'all might be laughing at luis but it took me about 10 tries to get our dadgum opening statement going this this evening so y'all hang in there with us guys Oh, my goodness. I hope my aunt's neighbors don't hear about this place. But next up, they'll be moving there in a heartbeat, I guarantee you. Our next top listening city was originally known as Gossip, with a population today of about 2,000 people. It now has two good banks, fine brick schools, and a handful of churches. And I'm not sure if the old biddies moved away or what, but Thankfully, back in 1880, a developer had renamed the town either after a girl from the town or after a second planet from the sun in none other than Venus, Texas. Venus, so, Texas. Yes, sir. Just outside of Middle Lothian on Highway 67. I've been through there several times. A nice, quaint little town. Uh, it'd be on the, on the west, southwest side of Middle Lothian. Uh, they're headed towards Alvarado. So and there, and once called gossip, you know it's bad when your when your town's called <laughs> gossip. <laughs> it's just south of Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth. They're going towards Midlothian. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, reading on the history of that town, it was because of Dallas, Fort Worth, that this town almost disappeared because it was right. actually starting to boom and do some things. And Dallas, Fort Worth came in, and and everybody annex it. Yeah, yep. they just kind of sucked them out of that area there. So we're glad Venus is still existing, man. Neat town. <laughs> okay, before I start on the last uh, city, uh, G- Gilbert's going to have to explain that eyeball that's just staring at me. From <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I got to tell y'all uh, something, man. Yeah, we'll go straight to it. So, y'all see up there on my first, this is my first book. I'm sure you noticed that. 
this is my first bull elk right here I ever killed. Joe it's, Gillia called this bull elk in for me. But y'all see, man, he looked just like that before I pulled the trigger <laughs> on was, my bow, man. I'm and, then, and then the taxidermist actually did a really good job with that. Keeping but that as soon as I there. say Bigfoot, yeah, then, exactly. Then just, yeah. It opened up the eyes just like that again. Like the big feet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so my wife decides she's going to pull a fast one on me now. She's She's got a a heck of a sense of humor now. So she decides to go all around my house and all the mounts, which I have 37 mounts in my home. Okay. So there's a bunch of them. So she just decides that she's going to pick out some of the real influential ones and put these big Google eyes up on them. <laughs> I mean, they all move and everything. I mean, it's crazy how they, you know, they it's these big eyes. So she just stuck them on the eyeballs of my elk and then over here on my black buck and I got a couple of white tails and axis deer in the in the living room. So she just decided she'd pull a fast one on me. And I guarantee you, y'all can't <laughs> y'all gonna laugh. It took me three days to figure it all out. Come in and out of here every day and not one time. And then I heard my cousin are in the kitchen laughing. I mean, going laughing silly because he'd saw it and never said anything to me. So they're in there laughing. And I actually looked at the elk because they were saying something about elk. So I looked at the elk and I saw those eyes and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? So I walked up there and then of course the joke's on me, you know. So Yeah, uh, for the listeners that can't that can't see this, he has an elk directly above and behind him that his wife put these fake eyes on that looks like he's staring down at Gilbert like yeah, and Gilbert, I actually I thought at first, man, you were just sitting there in the underwear or something in the elk song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, my wife and I, we love to kid each other and have fun around here. So she, her and the kid awesome. put a good one on me. <laughs> Jab, I appreciate you bringing that to light, brother. Yeah, well, I kept staring at that elk as you were talking. And <laughs> but, <laughs> Gilbert, do me a favor, man, and turn that camera down, though. I keep I keep seeing it, like, like scare me, man. <laughs> man. I, I like it. It reminds me of the time me and R.C. Knox had that bull standing over us. That's exactly what that bull looked like when he was staring us down, man. I'll never forget it as long as Oh, I'm my there. goodness. <laughs> okay, right, on, to the, on to the last city. Known for its equestrian community and equestrian events, it is host to the Winter Equestrian Festival, the largest and longest running horse show in the world from January to April. The city becomes home to many horse-loving celebrities during the equestrian season. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Bill Gates, Tommy Lee Jones, Madonna, and Vanilla Ice, to name a few. A big shout-out to Wellington, Florida. Wellington, Florida in the house. Florida in the house. That's awesome, man. We, we went all over the United States tonight, huh? No doubt. Made the, <laughs> made the East Coast to the West Coast. All right, let's get after it, man. Time to talk about some uh, elk content here. And uh, uh, Chav, tonight's topic is about setups. And uh, how do you feel? What are the importance of setups? Well, the you know, uh, if you, you know, I, I've, we've mentioned this before, Gilbert and I, that if you can hear an elk that's close by, or if we see an elk, uh, it gives you an opportunity to, to set up and try and bring them in. And uh, in that situation, we feel we're going to get a, a good opportunity to, to kill one. 
or at least get a good shot. But uh, the main uh, factor with that is, of course, the wind. Um, you know, I think two years ago, I, we had the perfect setup. And uh, a lot of times when you set up, you're unable to see what the elk are doing sometimes because you're in thick cover. You know, you can hear uh, a bull in front of you, but you're not sure about any other factor that, that may be around you because of the thick cover. But uh, two years ago when you killed that, uh, the six by weird horn on the other side. Yeah, right. The club guy. Uh-huh. I was in a situation where I could see everything unfold in front of me. You know, if, if you can visualize the face of a clock, uh, we were at six o'clock and we heard the bugle and the bulls at 12 o'clock, the wind's blowing towards us, maybe a little to our uh, right hand side. And uh, that's where Joe set up and he sent me down to the left about, a, I'd say about three o'clock to set up. So, uh, I was in a burnt area with a, a lot of openings where I could see what unfolded. And uh, like we mentioned several times before, we had seven bulls in front of us. And uh, three of the bulls broke off from the main group and just like a clock, they followed one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, and they were gonna go all the way around to see if they could smell what's happening at six o'clock where Joe was standing. But they spotted me at three o'clock and, and took off. But the remaining four bulls, uh, uh, there was that huge, huge bull in there that responded to Joe, and he came directly to 6 o'clock where Joe was. But I was able to see all that, and a lot of it had to do with the wind. And it also showed me, uh, you know, how smart the elk are. You know, the three that broke away were going to circle around to see what was happening. Mm -hmm. So you get that happening a lot, too, and a lot – a lot of times those are the bulls that sneak up on you when you least expect it because they're not making any noise at all. They're just circling around. So uh, Joe's mentioned that setup several times, you know, get get uh, set up your partner that's the shooter in front of you and in this case to his right. And he uh, continued calling. But the wind is, is the big factor in that setup. And I guess you would call, call that a static setup. So we're going to talk about that and break that down a little better. And, and, and you kind of went and talked about uh, setups right away. But let me ask you, as a component, mm -hmm. how, how, guys, how important do you think the setup is to the equation of what's going to happen in killing an elk? The way I see it, Joe, is the setup is the, depending on the distance at which you are from the animal, um, you first try to close in the gap as much as you can. Okay, so then, yeah, be careful of going right. there. Let's just, right. because at some point, once, every person's you, setup, right, is going to be in close quarters at some correct, point. Right? Correct, And then at that point, then to me, it's, it's critical for sealing the deal. If you don't have a good setup, you can be a great shot. But if that, if you don't have the right setup, that animal is not going to give you a shot opportunity. Well, and, and I think you've got to create that. Uh, you know, you got to create your distance. You got to, you got to understand the language that the elk speak in, how far out he is, whether we're going to cut the distance, what your terrain looks like. There's a lot of things that go into that uh, to, to having a setup, whether you got, you know, if you're in black timber, or if you're in oak brush, I mean, there's a whole lot of different things that I think go into that, Joe, 
uh, that you've got to use to your advantage, right? So depending on the terrain that you're in, I think uh, depends on what type of setup you're going to use. You know, how many people you got in your, in your party. Uh, If you're hunting one guide, you know, one caller, two hunters, one caller, one hunter. Or solo, right? Yeah, or solo. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, you know, for me personally, I like having at least two and look, three's not bad no. Been with four. So, yeah. I mean, it, it gets, the more you add, the the dicier it can get. But I can tell you this too, it can add an element that really uh, on a bull that's love starved, he's, he's gonna, he sees a few things he's coming, you know? So tonight, yeah. tonight's topic, the, 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 the head, the title of this was demystifying the setup. And what I see, like when we talk about a setup amongst us, there's so, and it's interesting, even Luis does it now. I mean, he's been at it long enough that there's some things in his thought processing already that a lot of people are going, what do I do? You know, I mean, to demystify this, I have people that are always going, you know, when do I set up, you know, uh, and, and people are like, well, where do I set up? And, and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of demystify that a little bit now yeah. because yeah. people don't understand. That's like, I, I was just talking just the other day with a buddy, a listener out there. And, uh, and he was saying that last year he had the coolest thing happen. It was midday and they were coming back. They were at the vehicle and he was like, and how many times have we done this? You know? And he's like, I'm just going to crank a bugle out. Just, just two. And he does that. And yeah. a bull goes off man about mm-hmm. 400 yards out and you know which got him all excited and everything and, and i and i asked him at that point well what'd you do and basically he set up at 400 yards away trying to call the bull in right mm-hmm. so again a lot of guys are like well when i hear a bull and you know people don't understand they they hear okay you call in an elk so they don't understand, well, how close do I have to be? At what point do I call the elk? What's going to go on before I actually do set up, all right? So in, in doing that, like, for example, let's say, guys, I'm going to ask you guys. you got a bull that's 400, 600, 800 yards away and, and no obstacles. In other words, there's no fence between you. There's no other property out there. There's not another hunt unit. You have all land that you can traverse there, and you've got a bull that's 400, 600, 800 yards away. And he sounds off. Do you set up and start calling to try to bring that bull in? No. no. no Absolutely not. I'm, I'm cutting the distance. Yeah. And, and then obviously, depending on what like Gilbert said, on yeah. terrain mm. and wind. Yeah. Uh, to, to, terrain, because obviously, if, if there is a big open prairie between yeah. you and the bull, then, you know, it's a different Excellent. deal. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if, if you have timber and the topography is advantageous uh, enough to where you can actually close in the gap before you kind of set up and actually set up a start learning on the on the emotions of the on this animal to right. to then start thinking okay what strategy am i going to use to start you know talking to this animal yeah right. he's going he's you... going to tell you man as soon as you hit that as soon as you hit that bugle and he bugles you know, if you cow call another time and he's closer and he's bugling, well, now it's time. I mean, he's cutting the distance himself. So you're already thinking about, well, like 
he like uh, Luis said, okay, where are we at? Are we on the edge of a park? Are we, you know, are we in the oak brush? I mean, where, what are we doing? For me, yeah, you're right, Luis. We're never going to cut across a park where you can see us in the open. We're going to use the wood line, skirt around, skirt around, use the use every bit of cover we can to stay covered up and try to cut the distance down. But if he's coming, I mean, I've seen bulls cover great amount of distance in 15, 20 seconds. You yeah, know, and, so you know, uh, you guys really brought up a good attitude. point there of something that we always talk about, and that, that's going to kind of be in the where scenario when we get there. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you have a big open area and you're uh, – a rifle hunter, you're good, right? Yeah, you nah, can pull absolutely. to the edge. But if you're a bow hunter, you're either going to have to be on the other side of that timber, getting over there, or you're going to have to stay back and pull him across that opening up into timber, right. one or the other, right? Yeah. But but you guys are you, you guys are, are kind of missing a little bit of a point here, and I'll put it to you this way: you got a girl coming over to the house, and and <laughs> before you start calling to her to bring her into the house, what do you do? you straighten up the house, right? You get, get, yeah. you get ready for it, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and it, it's the same thing like Luis was talking about right there is, is, you know, you, you started talking about, you know, you know, what disposition they are. So you know what calls to use. Well, mm -hmm. before you do that, if you are in a certain position mm -hmm. where you are ready to set up, you've got to start finding that setup before you start bringing that animal in. Right. No doubt. No right? doubt. Sure. Yeah. If you so, figure, if you think that that's going to be your place, then man, we got to get, you know, ourselves in front of cover. You know, we got to get, keep our, you know, try to keep our backdrop behind us, you know, look, you know, range a few of your shooting lanes, stuff like that. And then yep. go ahead and make the deal happen. You know, but here's the working. thing. When do you know, and, and you said, if you said it, Gilbert, if you think mm -hmm. that's the place to make it happen. Now you've got experience, you've got, this is your 11th year out there, right? right and right. you've got that experience factor on there. But a lot of guys are going, well, how do I know when it's the right time for me to set up, right? Well, and, uh, two, two things. I mean, it depends, depending on how close that bugle or that, that response is. There's one right I, there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other is, you know, if you hear two and one is closer than the other, then, you know, he's coming. So at that point, you better get ready because, you know, if he's on a, on a pathway to where you're at, you need to be prepared. Yeah. You, you, you're bringing up something absolutely, totally, you know, whether that animal, uh, and we're actually going to, when we start talking about the scenarios, we're going to talk about that a little bit more because, yeah. uh, you know, that things change according to what that animal does. But oh. let's say, let's for all intents and purposes right now, let's say that we have an animal that is staying put and that we're closing the, the distance on that animal. How do I know um, what determines and tells me that it's time for me to set up on that animal? What type of things are going to determine that, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what I tell attitude. people is, is this, is number one, we're already working the wind, right? Yeah. So we got to have the wind in our favor. And like Chav said before, the wind does not necessarily have to be straight on in your face. It can right. be a crosswind. In fact, I don't mind a crosswind because when an animal is trying to circle, if they try to circle to my crosswind side, they're generally going to be in a shooting lane before they hit it, right? Yep. Okay? So that doesn't bother me there. But We've been unlucky a few times in those, yeah, though. Oh, yeah, that happens, man. <laughs> but but your bushes. goal distance relative to the bull 
to the now you got me doing it that's what you get that's karma again Joe. the, the gold <laughs> distance relative to the bull is is plus that gold distance like for example guys want to know how close should i get to that animal before i start calling right so what would you guys say the gold distance is Oh, man, I would say between 150 yards, 100 yards. I like 50, that range. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're saying 150, right? 100 to 200 yards. 100 to 150. Yes. Kind of there. Yeah. I think Again, that's, depending that's on one. terrain, yeah. right? Yes. yes. Whatever the yes. terrain lets you get away with. If I can get into 100 yards, because there's something that we call a bull's bubble, man. Mm -hmm. um, it, again, if Gilbert is yelling at me, from half the county away over there and he's cussing me out and stuff i look over there and i hear i, I hear noise coming out and yeah. i say oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like that yeah i forget him man <laughs> yeah but i tell you what gilbert comes over there and he's 100 yards away and he starts oh he's got my attention now right because yeah he's in my bubble now man mm -hmm. right so uh, i agree that one if you can get up to 100 without being i mean if it's thick but it's generally going to be that 150 200 depending on what's happening right yeah, I'm and with you. Mm -hmm. yeah and and like you guys said if 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 i call and all of a sudden he sounds like he's closer but a big question that i hear from a lot of guys a lot of time is is how do i judge distance how do i know how far away that animal is right now is that question based on you seeing the animal or just hearing no the on, on audio how do audio. I judge okay. by an animal's bugle how far away he is, okay? And, and I want to start this by making sure I tell people that a bull can bugle away from you and towards you sound and further. sound different. Yeah, or closer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Same, same with the grunt tube. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. Like well, how we throw our calls, right? That's mm -hmm. a great lesson right there. But, you know, uh, when – what I'd like to do is I, I tell people this, and if you've never heard it before, and, and I, we have this on, on our, on our, on our uh, elk training camp. If you are set up in the morning and you hear a beautiful, melodic bugle that almost has this, <clears throat> gosh, it's almost like the Swan Lake harmonic. sound, man. Yeah, you it's know? A very and, harmonic. It's and, like and it kind of echoes, and you can just hear it in the hills. That that is generally anywhere from six, eight hundred yards off, man. I mean, they they just have that little bit of echo bouncing off the mountains, way, and that's because as an elk gets closer to you, you start to hear more of the errors in its voice. You start you to the hear gravel, yeah, the grasp and growl. Yeah, mm -hmm. when they're far away, you're going to hear that pretty, and you're going to hear a lot of the oh, yeah. Oh, and even when they chuckle, you kind of hear it, but it has more of a, it, it's, it's more harmonic is the only yeah. way I can describe it, man. And the first time you guys hear it, and, and what I tell guys is if you get an opportunity to see and hear an elk bugle at the same time, look at where they're at, close your eyes, and listen to that, man, and, mm, yeah. and get an idea and a feel for where that's at. And, Joe, I'm getting transported. I can't help it, but I got this big anxiety inside of me. It's building up. I'm getting excited about elk time, man. I for, just, uh, for me, yeah. Joe, for me, it's Ooh. that reverberation that you feel 
almost in your body, right? Right. When they when they hit that tone, and you, I call them growler bulls. We mm-hmm. we get those bulls that'll. I mean, you can actually hear that growl in their tone. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So the so what are you saying though, Gil? When you say <laughs> that, that it's so that he's close. You, he, you okay. can you can there tell, you man, he's within that hundred yards, right? Right. He's right. He's close, and man, when you feel that, it's like the hair stands up on the back of your <laughs> neck, and it is go time. We're knocked up. I mean, that's when we're we're in, at at the ready because he's liable to come walking in. And for uh, me, Andy, yep. each guy has his distance, right? Uh-huh. For me, it's eighty and in, and I'm he's in serious trouble. Right. If I can get a quarter and away shot at a bull at 80 yards, he is in dire straits. Mine is about you know. five and in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I, I really I've never put, killed I really one put five Joe, in, but I'll take it. Right. I, this I really year was Joe a, to the test. This, <laughs> like, this year is the first year I killed a bull closer than 40 yards ever. Right. And I've killed a bunch of them. And I'm telling you, Joe got me one within 38 yards. And I mean, it was a it was a layup, really. It wasn't a, you know the way we had to shoot it, but again, you have to when you feel man, you'll feel that rascal in yeah. your soul, dude. Quick question, Joe. Yeah, and sorry to interrupt you, oh, but I, I I don't know if it's just me, but I feel that whenever they are calling in or bugling, responding to a call and coming in, uh-huh. I feel like they're less concerned about making noise. Oh, so yeah. also they're more loud walking through the woods oh, as absolutely. far as breaking branches and stuff like that. I feel like when they come in quietly without bugling uh-huh. is when they, they come silent. in stealth mode and you don't, yeah, yeah. don't, don't listen oh. to them. But if you pay close attention to what you're listening to, you may be able to actually hear them at come in through the woods. You bet. If, if and once they start getting like within the hundred yards, sure frame. you can. And and to describe what you're talking about, it's it's kind of like somebody that sees a fight going on and they want to see it without getting involved. So they kind of sneak right. over there to get a look without getting involved in it. Other than the guy that wants to jump into somebody's face and they're like chest out and they're like yeah 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 i mean yeah. it's the same thing man one is yeah. aggressive and loud and the other one's kind of like ah timid but the yeah. thing that i wanted to say and i don't know if you guys have ever thought about this this way but to me a, a bull's bugle the closer they are to you it's almost like the farther they sound away it, it because you start to hear the air in their voice Ooh, yeah. you start to it, it's almost like uh, it, it's less of a bugle for some reason. The farther, man, when they're far away, you hear this beautiful whistle exactly. tone and everything. And and like you said, Gilbert, they get in that 100-yard range. It's that's when they kind of – and that's why I tell people, that 100, 150, they kind of rock the woods, man. Do, it's man. like you it's can like feel right it. in your face. Yeah. It's just vibration. Right but as they, get like, in, as they get in that, that 60 – and stuff like that, yeah. then it starts to almost sound real airy. You start to yeah. hear all of the of the faults in the bugle, mm-hmm. right, yeah. is, is the, the only way I could describe that. So or nostril-like. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, you can hear all of the inflection <laughs> in, the, in that. And it again, man, like I say, when you've done it as long as we have, it's almost – it just – get you in the core of your but if you guys have ever had a bull walk directly at you and just oh, i mean right in your face dude it will freak you out it's like a tyrannosaurus rex i can only harken back days <laughs> of the dinosaurs right when they would do that the caveman had to be like 
you know, crapping down their leg and running off. <laughs> they didn't have nothing but a stick and maybe a couple of rocks. I mean, yeah, they didn't have the ta- that, uh, the, yeah, didn't have blood the sport and, and it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they didn't have the daggum, you know, Matthews the with the great, with the great sticks and stuff yep. like, I mean, listen, uh, they, and their eyes get blood red. Y'all don't understand what goes through. You got to get in the woods and, and experience this, but for the guys that haven't, the way you know a bull's close is he's going to sound like he's in your lap and uh, you know he's close, you know. But what I'm trying to also get them to understand is, yeah, they'll know he's close, but here's the other question is, is how do I know I need to move up like he's still not close enough? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm kind of, you know, I'm trying to give these guys a picture of how they know where that 150 200 bubble is and and what i'll tell you is is that a lot of times when they're in that 150 200 they're going to sound like they change um distance between 80 yards and a heartbeat because they're going to turn and call one way yeah and they're going to turn yeah. and call your way and and all mm. of a sudden it sounds almost like all, they they ran up or something yeah so yeah. uh and it's like gilbert said you can hear you can hear the voice distinctly. It's not so far away where it's just reverberating through the hills anymore. It mm-hmm. still has a lot of power. It has a lot of good note to it. And as they get inside of that, they're going to get more airy because you're going to hear more of the air going over their throat as they're letting that call out. Yeah. So when you hear that, when you start hearing that, that wheezing noise before the bugle comes out, they are in your lap. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're uncertain, there's nothing wrong with setting up no, and, absolutely and, and not. throwing a few calls and evaluating the situation. Well, okay. And so let me stop you, though. Okay. Uh, it, it's okay to set up. I would not throw a call. I would gotcha. evaluate the situation. I yeah. would wait. Yeah and Wind look and watch. listen to him because see what he does yeah if you've already called and you're coming in that animal could be coming to you, you so it. you want to find out what his position is like and then and his temperament's like any other sounds you may hear and then if that animal is kind of saying now you're going to feed and you're going to do your thing and you're going to throw your call depending on if your partner or if yeah and what i was going to say if you feel like you're still farther away and Mm -hmm. you kind of set up a little earlier you can reassess and then maybe slightly move up a little bit you know and and you've told us whenever we set up in that inverted v position is that look if you see an opportunity to move forward and get closer to the animal just kind of you know, find a way to signal me to let me know that you're going forward a little bit. So I know, and then we have done that in the past. I mean, we've been able to kind of put the Mohican sneak a little bit and get closer to the animal for a better lane or a better shot opportunity within that same setup too. Right. And I usually, especially in a V, I try to watch you guys and move up with you. It's almost like we are a traveling V when it goes like that. So that now if ever, uh, we're in a situation where we're not able to see each other. It's good to have a signal like maybe three cow calls that you're going to move mm-hmm. up because now you're going to do three cow calls from the position you're at and you're going to move up. So as you move up, if a, a bull has that pin and starts coming, he thinks that you're further back than what you are. So that cow call that you put out yes. just to tell your shooter I'm moving up actually aids the situation. Okay. What I, what I want everybody to know too is that you now you have started this 
process of a setup and a show. Okay. Uh, he's, he's responding, you're responding, you've set up, man, I want y'all to really assess the peripheral because a lot of these other satellite bulls will come yes. in silent, man. <laughs> they will come in from behind. They will come in on your downwind side and yeah. not be scared at all mm -hmm. for some reason. I've seen this happen several times. They'll just run up on you and you won't even know they're there till you turn and look and it's like, Oh my yeah. God, there's a yeah. bull standing nine yards from me, you know? So, so you got to be really aware of what's going good point. on. Chav, how do you know when a bull is 200 to 150, 100 yards off? Well, like you said before, uh, the sound changes, you know, from the melodic uh, bugle when he's way off, off out there. And as it gets closer, uh, it's a little bit more distinct. And like you said, like everybody said uh, also, when they're really close, you hear the, the growl before and after the bugle. Mm -hmm. um, mm. But uh, a lot of times, and, and I, I was going to ask you to uh, really condense for us in as few words as possible mm -hmm. what the bull sounds like at, at uh, 600, 300, 100. You know, because we've thrown out some ideas out there, but I, I know, you know, from proofreading. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. The Academy <laughs> have three uh, distinct ideas as to how far the bulls are. So if you yeah. give us that, I think. Yeah. So uh, the, the way I'm going to tell people that for 600, 800 yards out there, it almost sounds like you're listening to the county fair from the other side of town. You can hear it going across the hills. It's mm -hmm. just kind of bounces. That sound just goes across there. You can hear it. Um, it's pretty. Um, but it's not distinct. When they start getting into that 200 yard, that 250 yard range, now you're going to start hearing distinct voice, but it still has a real pretty sound to it. And, and I don't mean pretty. It's hard. Uh, and I'm trying to find a way to do this, but it, it's, it's smooth, I guess, is the clean, way to say yeah. it. Yeah, more it's, chromatic. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, yep. it's smooth, but I hear, I can hear the, the, now I can hear the aggressiveness in the voice. I can hear the growl in the voice. I can hear the, the, the finish on it. And I can hear chuckles like, you know, very distinctly. Whereas now when he starts getting in under that hundred yard range, I start hearing the air in his voice. I hear the, um, the actually the weaknesses in the call. I can hear things so distinctly that they don't sound as smooth as they did when he was yeah. uh, 200, 250 yards out. That's the best way I can describe it. And, and I think, again, anytime you get to get in a situation where you get to do that and you can see the animal, listen to it, look at how far it is, range it, get used to what that kind of sounds like and and it can change accordingly to whether it's early morning and whether it's cool or whether there's wind because you get wind i mean that guy could be right on top of you and and sound like he's far away you know so yeah when jeremy christopherson and i were hunting one morning we were muzzleloader hunting and uh i bet you the wind was 45 out of the north i mean just blowing like crazy and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going to try a little bugle here <laughs> and see if anything hears me, you know. And, I mean, we've been traveling a long way, so we got a little bit of jack pine timber and just a little location bugle, man. And, I mean, 
I mean, it was right in our face. And I'm like, there is no way that bull's right here. I mean, it sounded like he was going to step on us. Well, he was. He was about 300 yards in front of us. But that wind was in our face. And it was, I mean, sounded like it was in our hip pocket. Very close. They've been, there was at least 75 or 80 head of elk there. And I can't tell you how many bulls, but there was a ton of them. And they were all in there fighting and having fun and sparring and bugling. But unless you get right on top of them, you can't hear them. And I'll go back to that county fair analogy or a concert analogy. I'm sure people have heard the audio from one of those. If you've been far away, get quiet and loud, quiet and loud, quiet, depending on how the wind was blowing that noise to you. So that's just something that uh, it's, if you can get into the downwind side of animals, you're going to hear them a lot better than if you were at a crosswind. And that's the one time that you, if it's a windy situation. Now, I, I want to make sure I go back and I, like Chad said, I want to tie this up so that people understand when to set up is going to be determined by a combination of your goal distance relative to the bull and the need for terrain and cover to make the setup successful. So if I am able, sometimes if, if, if I, if my goal distance is getting his bubble 150, but I see up there uh, at a hundred yards, I can see I got a perfect backdrop and shooting lanes. I'm going to try to get up into that area. Or yep. if I move up in, if I'm at 150 and I see where it just opens up and I'm not going to have a good setup where I have, Uh, as tight as possible or a good backdrop I might stay at that 150 now and try to bring that animal to me because if I put myself in a bad setup position then what good is it for me to have that animal come in right I, I sometimes would rather if that animal doesn't and he goes ahead and he moves off I'll go right back after him again find a better setup area in his bubble and then try to turn him again you know what I mean yeah, you know, yeah. when we look at our setup this year, Joe, this past season, when you killed your bull, <laughs> we had much of a setup. I mean, those bulls boogered, we hit a little cow call, stopped them, and we're, I mean, we are naked. We are hanging out in the breeze, you know. Seriously, I mean, we we knelt down. I mean, that's about the only thing we had. We didn't have cover in front of us. Really didn't have much cover other than some burn area behind us. But, but we had a decoy in front of us. We did. We had the decoy <laughs> yeah. in front of us. That changed the game. It changed right? the game. It right changed there. the game. So, yep. I mean, they didn't give two rats butts that me and you and Chad were standing there like a bunch of goons. <laughs> I mean, we got straight down and got into our knee position and – you know, we went to work and yeah, and the rest was history. So yes. I don't want guys to get too hung up on, on, you know, having cover, not having cover, man, just, you know, get into it, get them interested, get them coming, try to have you some back stuff behind you if you can, but don't, Absolutely. don't get all hung up on that, man. You're going to so, blow them up at one point or another. Uh, it, you know, it's just <laughs> the I really way believe, is, I guess. I, and I really believe when you're on your knees, a lot of these bulls look over you anyway, as I, long I as you're not moving a whole bunch. You're almost like a stump or a rock yeah. or something like that rather than when you're up. And then, but, of course, when they see old girly with her ear going like yeah. that, they're like, hey, <laughs> hey. So let's do that. Let's talk about where. Let's, yeah. You know, we talked about when to set up, right? Sure. We talked about how to, you know, being in that bubble. So now guys know. Uh, but um, before we get to the where, I'm going to tell you this too, y'all. If you're 400 yards and that bull responded and you start to cut the distance and all of a sudden he's halfway, 
from where he was the last time, you mm-hmm. had better be finding a place to set up because yeah. that bull is coming, man. He's coming All in right? quick. Oh, yeah. Coming <laughs> yeah. in on a string. They can cover a lot of ground oh, really man. quick. They quickly. can cover it real fast. So, quickly. Uh, so that then they are they are changing the bubble. You're yeah. not changing it. Yeah. They are. So you just got to be ready for that. So let's talk about where. And when I'm talking about where, it's about where are you going to select your spot to set up in certain situations okay and you know we talked about we talked about the setup we talked about when and then we were saying okay when i have a particular area to set up that's what i want so where do you select your spot to set up in situations because the first thing i want everybody to understand is and like gilbert was just saying there's not always going to be the best situation so you've got to try to ensure as many pluses in your favor as possible wind is number one right that you have shooting lanes because if you ain't got shooting lanes you ain't got diddly right that's like louise said a while ago you could be the best shot ever but uh, if you don't have shooting lanes, then you have nothing. And then uh, making sure that you have a backdrop and then making sure you have a tight setup. If you can do it, and what do I mean by a tight setup? By a tight setup, I mean you are either in... Funneling the animal. What's that? Where the animal will kind of funnel through. So, and, and, and yeah, and... and let me make sure that I understand the way word, you're yeah. doing it. In other words, the animal is not able to see what's producing the noise until they are in your shot already. Distance. Yeah, already. Too, yeah, too late. Too late. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like just like Gilbert's bull up there. Whoa! You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's already too late. Yeah, man. he was way too late. But when he figured it out, it was way too late. He done stepped out in the, in. You know, I, I wanted Joe to let him keep rolling, but Joe decided to stop him at 48, right? So, uh, and when it happened, his eyes were just like that. <laughs> and, and guys, there's, there's, there's multiple ways to get a tight setup. You can get a yeah. tight setup with brush or cover, or you Shoot can get yeah. a tight setup with terrain. And, and what I mean by that is um, you take Gilbert's bull. I used it for the perfect example this year. Where we were at up on a hill, before that bull could see us, he was already at 40 yards. When his head came up over that hill to be able to view where we were at, he was already at 40 yards. He's already in kill range. Now he comes up over the hill and takes some steps up. Now he's at 30 yards, 35 yards, right? So that's what I mean by that that tight setup using terrain. Yeah, If you're going to use them coming down on you because – Bulls will really like to come down on you because they're in a superior area where they can see down below them. They like that. So if you want to make sure that by the time that bull can get over, be able to see you, that you're tight enough on that, that you're going to have that shot. So there's ways of using terrain. And I think I show an example in our academy of where I had real open trees, but it was hilly. The bull was down on the bottom, so I threw my calls off to the side. He comes up the side of the hill, and by the time he tops out on top of the hill, he's 20 yards. Joe, Joe, we had a a very similar situation that makes me think of that where Mm -hmm. uh, situation uh, last year with – I was with Manano and and Brandon. And so if if you picture an opening um, of about 100 yards diameter and then – to the east of that opening, it, we were to the east of that opening in some cover. 
Right. We heard the bugle to the northwest of that opening, but to the west of that opening, there was a small hill. Okay. And then, so we heard the, the animal going towards the west behind the hill and um, in the northwest area. So what we ended up doing was we took that opportunity to rush across that opening and got on the other side of the hill to the southwest. That way, we, we started calling from that. We set up in that point and we started calling from that point. So that bull actually came, you know, he didn't see us getting right. To the side of you had him. the terrain to help you. And then we had the wind blowing mm -hmm. to the west. And then so when we started calling, that bull was coming up the hill. And that's when they saw it. And then as he started coming down the hill, that's when they had the shot opportunity. Uh, yeah, so right. that's, that's, that's kind of where, you know, a situation where I felt that we were so, so doing exactly what you So the next time you do that, for us people that don't see the, the, the compass that well, say front to the right and to the left. <laughs> I, I, I saw Chav trying to follow your northwest and northwest. And he was yeah. like, he lost yeah, me if, at northeast. And, but uh, if, if I, if I would have told my wife, she would probably be looking up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing, I, you reminded me of a nugget that I want to tell everybody as well is this, is that when a bull has come to an area um, and where I call is their stop and look point that they've come to, I don't know if you've noticed this, but just about any bull that you ever shoot, will turn around and run on the same path almost that they came in because they've safe. already been through there. They've That's already been secure. designated as safe, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. When a bull comes into an area and stops and then they disappear over, if you will haul up there and throw calls behind you, that bull already knows that area is secure and will come back to that location. Ah. So that's something to keep in mind as well, especially Pretty for cool. a hung bull. Uh, I've seen bulls come to a spot and stop because they could scan everything because of the openness. And, and I didn't show up. I wasn't going to move, turn, went over the hill. I call, came back to the exact same spot three times, three times. And wow. pendejo Jose, if I'd have just sprinted <laughs> up there and thrown that call, that had been a dead bull. And, and I have used that. And that's like your case that you're talking about that bull has already been on one side of that hill checking it he goes on the other side you guys go up there and call him well he's willing to come across and check that because he's already right. he's already there. scoped already that out there. right okay yeah. obviously i didn't think about that when it happened but you know <laughs> they, yeah it makes sense <laughs> so when when we talk about these setups though is where um, I want people to understand that there are two kinds of setups. There's dynamic and there's static setups. And let me I'll explain the difference between the two of them. A dynamic setup is a heat of the moment decision and an act of closing to a response, okay? Um, so it's so what we talked about before. We got a bugle and we're going at it, right? Either he's going to call again and he's in the same location. We're still, we are reacting to an active response. We are going after that bull. Um, if that bull starts coming at us, now we have to uh, change. It, it's, I, I call these the stationary, the coming in, and the oh crap mm -hmm. <laughs> type moments. And, and so the stationary is that bull that just keeps advertising. Either he has some cows with him or something. He's staying and you keep going and closing. Or you're going and all of a sudden it's half the distance and now even closer coming into you. Or that there's that where you step around like we did 
uh, with all of us together, and there's yeah. a bull standing there at about, you know, 40 or 50 yards. That's that oh, crap moment, no right? Doubt. Okay. So that's the dynamic. That's that heat of the moment where you have to make decisions on your setup in the heat of the moment. Um, yeah. Kind of improvising. Yeah. Depending <laughs> on, on if it's stationary, I have more time to think about where I'm setting up. I get more chance to, to choose. If he's coming in, I have a chance to choose, but I better get with the program, right? If it's an oh crap moment, I just got to get down and hopefully he hasn't seen me. Forget the wind, get ready to shoot, you know, maybe do a cow call or something to stop and get him coming my way. I, I, where I'm at becomes my setup, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And so you have the dynamic and then you have the static setups and static setups are scenario driven setups. They're where you are portraying a situation, painting a picture or telling a story designed to pull elk to you. Not that they have responded at all, or maybe you heard one respond early in the morning that never sounded off again. It's not an active, engaging um, moment decision. It's where I am, uh, I have decided because either I have found fresh crap droppings, fresh urine, um, or I just smelled them and I know that they're right there, or I put them to bed and I waited and now I know they're bedded within the area. You know, there has to be a reason for me to do a static setup. I just don't just do a static setup anywhere. I, I have a thought process, either some kind of sign or something that tells me to do that, to set up a scenario, or I visually see them. Yeah, like you visually see a herd yeah. bull yeah. with a right. bunch of cows, right? Yeah. Now and, we got to get I, his cows interested. And right. this is a concept that I, I guess, Joe, I want to clarify. This is proprietary almost. I mean, you came up with these two concepts, which to me greatly defines the two different kinds of setups that, that you effectively have used, correct? I mean, this right. is how you break it down. And I think is a good way to to at least help, you know, Which simplifies it. There's two yeah, setups, right? Exactly. It's just super simple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and understand this. When I say static, um, nothing in elk hunting is completely static. I'm just talking about yeah, how you initially lot, start yeah. out. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I might start out in a static uh, calling scenario that quickly becomes dynamic, you know, no if something yeah. responds, right? It usually does. Right. So I, I just want you to understand, but in a static one, I am deciding the playing field. I am, I am deciding where my best position is to be where I have the best shooting lanes. I have the best backdrop. I've got the wind in my favor. I get to choose it all. And it's to my advantage, right? Yeah. I okay. think a lot of times that the wind really does, you know, typically really does depend on our setup, right? It really, sure. We really have to use that. There are a lot of times that we want to make a move on a bull, but we know if we do, we run the risk of blowing him up sure. or blowing the herd out. So a lot of times it'd be better, maybe we make that hour trek around to get in front of him or or we just don't chance the win because we got a few more days to hunt. I mean, it's all situational, you know, that setup could be, you might have to push it if it's your last day or, you know, if you got plenty of time, then you don't. But I think wind is so crucial to either static or dynamic. You know? and, and ain't that crazy, uh, Gilbert, that really the wind 
that is going to mess you up has to be within 40 degrees of that whole 360 degrees. (laughs) But it seems like it's always within that freaking window (laughs) where the animals are. (laughs) It's just really 40. I mean, you think about it, the rest of it, I mean, you can work with. But there's just that one forty degrees that you're really in trouble. If you know if when you make a blown. when you make a living out of surviving, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. You know, we're just a small predator compared to what they got to live with yeah, every day. That's very true. You know, we yeah. add a lot more pressure to them in those first, you know, in in the fall months. But they they run in from all their around. whole life their from whole the time life. they're yep. born. They're, you know? they're professional at surviving, man. Yes. So. I, I want to let everybody know, too, um, about static setups, that there's four things to remember about static setups. Number one, they're not random. You're not just stopping someplace and, and throwing out calls just to do it. There's a reason that you decide to work a setup in that location. Like I said, maybe you come to a wallow that has just been wiped, man, and there's a bedding area near there. So you decide to do that. The sign tells you that there's a reason to do a static setup. Uh, the second thing is that they take time. Um, they do. Yeah, and if you're going to do a static setup, you had – Better be ready to commit to it because uh, it can take, I mean, things can happen in 15 minutes. They can happen in 30 minutes. But a lot of times it's 45 minutes to an hour. That's what it took us last year, Joe. Right. About 45 minutes of you nonstop calling. Yeah. Yeah, we worked that setup on my bull for a long, long time and and almost gave up. Gave up. Yeah, Yeah. almost Mm -hmm. did. Almost Uh, pulled the plug. The other thing is remember that in static setups, a lot of times bulls are more apt to come in silently. Uh, the ones that you do get worked up that say something, now the situation's totally changed because oh, yeah. once one of them guys says, I'm your huckleberry, it's on. Mm-hmm. So it that's, that's really fun time. But there's a lot of those that come in silently. They are responding, but in a different way. And yeah, I think, those, what's that? I was going to say, it seems like a, a lot of times in a static setup that you'll get the, the satellite bulls to come in uh, yeah. first yes. and foremost. And uh, and as Gilbert has mentioned many times, <laughs> if you can spot an elk, a, a static setup generally works pretty good. I remember that, that decoy fiasco we had that one year. Right. We, yeah. we had spotted the elk and you and Gilbert <laughs> set up behind me and, and just put on a show. And uh, there were two bulls down at the bottom, and they both came up, you know. Uh, one was going to go all the way to the decoy till he saw Joe, but <laughs> the outline of Joe <laughs> behind the decoy. Joe's beautiful <laughs> outline through old yeah. Dolly the decoy. <laughs> but it seems a lot of satellite bulls come into that static setup, yeah. Un- yeah, unless, it- unless you get that herd bull mad. In, in fact, if you look at the last thing that I that I have on the four things to remember about static setups, it's, uh, it's it's a box of chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get, man. It mm-hmm. could it could be a cow, it could be a spike, it could be a, a, a raghorn, it could be a, a really nice satellite bull, or it could be a big, depending on the time of the year, right? So, yeah. Uh, Five years ago, my first bull I ever called in for somebody, I got to call it in for Chav. I was so proud of that and still am to this day. But we chased a bugle for, I don't know, mile, two miles. I mean, and it just acted like it quit. It gave up. And we're at the top of this huge ridge. And we're like, man, let me try one more time, you know. And, and I did. And this thing just, 
I guarantee he'd been cutting the distance the whole time, Joe, and mm-hmm. we just didn't know it. And the last time I gave a little location bugle, he just sounded like he was going to get in our hip pocket, you know, and he was coming. <laughs> and, and then we just kept firing him up. And then before you know it, these other satellites fired up below us. And again, y'all have heard the story time and time and these perfect storm hit, but had we not stayed with that static setup and, and, and stayed with that deal and really hunted that bugle, um, we would have never had that opportunity. And I would have never got to call in my first set of, of bulls and see how they act. I've been just so fortunate to be in guys that, that do this. Y'all got to put the time in the woods to see how these animals react. I, there's nothing like experience. There really isn't. And if you hadn't, if you don't have any, this stuff that we're putting out, it is priceless, man. I, I mean, serious knowledge of how an elk reacts when you're in the middle of a, a static situation versus a dynamic. This is really good stuff, Joe. Luis, why don't you take us to the Elk Bros mailbox, man? Absolutely. So um, we got Scott Baker, Parker, Colorado. Uh, he says, uh, I was listening last week. A couple of things came to mind, and one of them was scent away or scent covering products. And if you guys use them or when is the best time to use them? Uh, I know you have touched briefly on this topic in the past. I know a lot of guys use stuff to cover their scent and obviously use uh, laundry stuff, but I just want to see what you guys thought. So we always have bottles of, uh, whether it's sent away or another product that we use out there. And, um, and, and Scott, make sure that you understand this. You, if a bull smells you, if your wind is going towards that bull, there is no way in Hades that you're going to fool that animal's nose. However, um, I do believe that scent-away products can mitigate that scent enough to gain you possibly 10 yards. And minimize, if, minimize the odor. Yeah. yeah. To, to Harken point, it to a mosquito landing on you and then a hawk landing on you. Absolutely. No. It, it's, it's uh, you know, the same way I talk about, like, if I hear gunfire way off, you know, yeah. elk are used to smelling humans. <laughs> and believe it or not, people think that as soon as they smell a human that they disappear. Well, it's not that. It's when they smell a human within a certain <laughs> range that they yeah. did not expect to smell that human. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it, they are used to smelling human scent in a distance. So the more that you can mitigate your scent to smell like it's farther away, uh, than what it is, the more opportunity you have to maybe get more into that bubble of that animal and to get that shot. So uh, go ahead. Yeah, to to his question, um, yes, uh, we shower and camp mm-hmm. um, as, as often as we, weather allows it. You know, I won't, I'll be honest, and sometimes it's a couple days and then, <laughs> then we shower. But when we do shower, we use that Santa Way product for shampoo and body wash, right? Um, I do wash my clothes with that Scent Away product here. And, uh, you know. I spray if, my clothes down enough. every day, too, after I hunt with them. Right. And don't be like Manano and use them Shower little curtains. drying sheets yeah. uh, into the dryer because then they'll put the smell back on it. You know, smell like flour out there. That's what he does all the time. Soap by Fabergé. I mean, yeah. Well, so if you can actually dry it out in the sun, even better. So, uh, yes, absolutely. I 
I don't think any of us really use cover scent. No. Uh, I think no, I would rather smell like the, nothing at all. That's correct. Yeah. I, I step correct. in every piece of elk crap I can find and cows and stuff. If there's cattle, I'm going to step in that. Cause so I used to roll in every every bit of elk urine I could find. And the, yeah. the only problem was now that we travel in groups, it makes everybody think they've smelled an elk. So, right. <laughs> I, you know, I've had to stop doing that. So at least when we smell an elk, we know it's an elk. So, but when I was solo hunting, yeah, I, I would roll in it, man, and, and cover myself up. And, yeah. And, and the other thing I would do is take pine, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and get those fir trees and rub it on me, man. Mm-hmm. And, and Good stuff. now I would do that on there, but no, I, there is a, there's a product out there that I've been using lately and I actually think it kind of works. I like it. And what it is after you shower, it's kind of like a foam mm-hmm. that you kind of rub all again, you know, in your body mm-hmm. before you put your clothes on. And uh, it, it just gives you that protective film of that nonsense stuff that you carry with you. So when you don't, when you break out the first sweat, it's not immediately all that non-odor stuff going away. This actually gives you a little bit of a shield. And I can't remember the name of it. Uh, name it's probably of it, called it's, some kind of shield. <laughs> some, yeah, something yeah. shield is, yeah. is what it's called. Okay. All right. Who's up next, man? Thanks, Scott, for the question, buddy. Definitely good, good stuff, Scott. Nicholas Yee. British Columbia, Canada. He says, I've looked and uh, I've looked out and won a draw for an elk tag in BC, which is for Roosevelt elk. The time frame is October 10th, November 20th, uh, 2020. I'm sorry. It will no, it's, be it's November rifle- 20th. Yeah, October yeah. 10th to November 20th. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got it right. October 10th, November 20th, it will be rifle hunting. I am planning on scouting beforehand and making some weekend hunts. Uh, my question is, which week is th- in that time frame would you would be the best to take off from work? Mid-October to hopefully get some bulls in seconds estrus or wait until the later November and try to get bulls uh, bachelored up. Uh, the tag allows for any bull to, to be taken, but I am hoping to shoot a mature animal. So he he hit both of the nails right on the head, man. Yeah. I mean, Nick, you, you actually, you're, you're <laughs> answering your own question, and <laughs> you have it totally under control. Mid-October is when you're going to possibly get some of those bulls in second estrus, right? Um, the only problem is, uh, and again, mm-hmm. there's exceptions to this, because the largest bull that we killed at one point was in the actually the late October estrus hit and and killed a, a whale of a bull that just came in we had never even seen him and uh, that estrus hit and he showed up out of nowhere but generally those are oh, going to be tiny. younger bulls because the big guys I mean, are so wiped out yeah, they've already right. bailed all, off all now does that mean that you're not able to get a good mature bull some of them satellites that are still with him are mature big bulls they just got their butt whipped earlier and so some of them are still doing that and and then you say late november when you got a chance of those bulls bachelored up so and then you say to shoot a mature animal so now you have to decide how mature because that the later in that november when those bulls especially if there's any weather and i i've never been to british columbia canada but so i can't tell you um but Man, when they're bachelored up, it's so much easier to spot them. And 
It's generally going to be a buffet. It's going to be yeah, everything gonna be from a our, feed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, and it's going to be a raghorn to some whoppers. Yeah. Man. I mean, you're going to see Chav and I, we went up uh, one late November. We had how many of those bulls that were just right off the side of the road, Chav, running up there? <laughs> at, at least 11 in that group, right? And I know anything, anything with regards to maybe the moon and weekdays that he can look into to kind of minimize the amount of people out there as well. You know, that's the thing, though. Um, So moon is going to affect more of that um, that early October than it is going to be that late November, because now your days are getting shorter. And those mm-hmm. animals, because they're having to eat, eat, eat in that mode, they actually stay out longer and they come out earlier to be able to eat in, in those times there. So um, I, I don't think the moon affects them as much later on. And uh, okay. if there's and any it, weather on the ground, it just helps you out. His question, though, was which week in that time frame would be the best to take off from work? I'm saying the first week of that the first seven days from October 10th through the October 17th or the last seven days. I'm saying the last seven days for me. I'm saying the last seven days. Right. Well, and, and for me, I've hunted in that mid mid October deal and it is on like donkey Kong. Right. Uh, in places now where they're at in British Columbia could be getting done with. Right. Right. So, um, most of the Rockies that heads up there, that mid-October time is just wide yeah. open. And see, he's a, he's hunting Roosevelt, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm Ro- not either. Yeah, Roosevelt's don't travel as much like those Rockies do either. So. They're going to stay close to the feed, though, in late November because yeah. they're coming off of that big rut, and they've been fighting a bunch. So they're yeah, going to want to get together and get get food in their gut. But I'm with you, Joe. I think I'd probably go last week in November. I, You know, I – the only reason I would go, With Gilbert, for that earlier one is just for the bugling, you know, and I yeah, can call them yeah. in most likely. Yeah. But if yeah. this guy really wanted a big, mature bull, if he mm-hmm. wanted a chance at one of them herd bulls, I would say that late November, man. Is, is I agree. That. agree. So, um, but, All right. Yeah. How about Mr. Philip Esslinger? Yeah, and we're going to make this the last one. Well, Bob, you're going to be up next time, man. We'll get you out going the next time, but we're going to do Philip now. Yeah, Philip Esslinger, is that how you would pronounce that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Esslinger. Aurora, Nebraska. Uh, what type of pack do you like to use for elk hunting? I really appreciate how you have uh, run your podcast and would value your thoughts. Keep up the good work. Oh, thanks, Philip, man. Thanks, Phil. Uh, yeah, we appreciate that, and uh, we enjoy doing it, brother. And I tell you, um, I was getting Vito Lacas just talking about elk today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We 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 day pack it, Philip. We don't really um, we don't do any of the backcountry packs. We're generally going to be, um, and we're usually two of us together. We're generally going to be uh, two miles to three miles at the most from some to- type of transportation. Uh, and if and if we're paired up like we usually are, and sometimes there's three of us, uh, we have somebody going back to get the the packs. We just carry frame packs to get meat out while the other guys are working the animal. And 
You know, we Gilbert, did I just way. catch Joe lying? He's just said <laughs> two to three miles from <laughs> and from the vehicle. Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute, Joe. Joe. Never been two I, I thought we were trying to keep anything. honest here. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I'm telling First you, man, morning we drove eight miles from camp. What? Are you kidding, dude? <laughs> yeah. uh, Come on. I'm glad he's. I'm glad he's embellishing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I was looking on the ground at a pack I had back here that I used to use, but you know. From, like Joe said, we use freight packs to, to get our meat out. We're usually driving somewhere. But I use a Badlands pack that Joe uh, that Joe showed me a, a couple years back. Same one that Luis and, and Joe use. I think that's uh, a Diablo or something like that. It is it? a Diablo. Yeah. And I'm telling you, fellas, it is the bomb. It's awesome. It conforms to your body. I wished I'd have been using it a long time ago. I used to use a Bandolier uh, pack. And look, it's serviceable. No no doubt about it. But, and then I used a fanny pack some too, that was from uh 10 zig and I liked it a lot, but uh, this new Diablo uh, pack that we use today pack is it's phenomenal. But Joe will tell you less is more, <laughs> you know, the less you can put in that pack, the better your day's going to be. You're just the essentials. So, uh, but if you're packing in and everything else, I mean, look at 10 zig, look at uh, Badlands, uh, those Eberlis stock. I mean, they're really good packs that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're like Monano, you only go in with half of your wallet. <laughs> and I, I think, I think guys, if, if you're going to, if you're going to backpack in and need to get an animal out, I would worry more about the meat packing system of that pack than anything and uh that it can be comfortable on you that it keeps it close to your body uh and there's some good ones out there that you don't have to sell the ranch to get as well so um yeah and and i have i mean there's a lot of great packs at all different prices it's it's up to you but what i would tell you is i would get whatever fits my body the best that packs that meat the best and yet can take some of my gear i and for me, I'm a, a silent freak, so I like to have something that when I'm drawing on an animal, I'm not hearing buckles or sliding or shh, shh, I, 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 I'm unable to take that, man. It just drives me nuts, so that's really big for me is how quiet it is uh, if I'm going to hunt in it, right? So um, the problem sometimes is when you have more space, you try to fill it, and uh you start feeling it, you, you'll start feeling it. <laughs> so. yeah, man, every pound you put in that pack is a pound you're toting around in the mountains. Yep. And, you know, we hunt, I, we hunt at elevation, so it's serious for fat it, boys like me. It's two ways up, right, Beto? Yeah, no and, doubt. There's and, no and, down. And, look, you're going to adapt quick after the first couple of days of the hunt. And and I tell you, my experience, I usually go in a little heavy the first couple of days, and then I start losing stuff up as the days go by. You <laughs> walk over to my tender. Beto, do you take this with you? Do you take that with you? Do you take this with you? I'm like, bro, put oh, that stuff in your tent, man. Leave it there, man. Joe's got all that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, everybody needs to understand that i actually have to cover for manano because in the woods manano is going to be needing stuff He's and then who's that yeah. Yeah. No yeah. all that boy needs is a hammock and some water and he's good to go <laughs> guy's a trip man he's a warrior you know uh 
again, those frame packs have been saved our lives. I mean, we had an extreme pack out uh, last year in some really tough terrain in the dark. And if we wouldn't have had those frame packs, it would have been really ugly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, and then I, I keep, guys, I keep uh, cheesecloth with me. I like putting my meat in the cheesecloth. It keeps the dirt and the debris off of the meat, which, you know, we get back to camp. We have a system of how we're going to take care of our meat. And stuff. It does not. Um, protect against bears as we found out <laughs> yeah, yeah bears <laughs> bears will get it nonetheless right that's for sure <laughs> all right man let's call this one a show fellas again if y'all like what we're doing here please subscribe rate and review you got to go to apple podcast or itunes to review us and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com and if you want you know, your questions answered on the air, just send us an email at info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. I, I enjoy getting the emails every week. I bet I get five or six now a week from all our listeners. And it's been so cool to talk with y'all about our setups and, you know, the upcoming elk season and what we use and stuff like we just can't thank enough to our listeners out there and all our grinders from, from all over the country, you know, uh, just know that all of us are thinking about you out there. You guys, y'all, y'all take care of yourself. It's been another great show. Y'all take care of yourself. Stay social distance a little bit. This thing's, I think we're starting to see the downward stroke of this. So I think we're going to be able to hit the elk woods and, and be healthy and, and stuff like that. So I want to thank everybody out there. You know, as we all say here at Elk Bros, husbands, kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husband, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunt. <laughs> peace. Peace. Peace, peace, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>